Hey everybody, it's Robert Gowan and Scott Johnson, and we're coming at you from Mentors for Military Studio, and we're going to be sharing with you our latest episode with Rick Alexander, and Rick was a former BUDS instructor, and he uh, talks about the topic of getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. But before we do that, Scott, I think it might be helpful to, to talk a little bit about our Patreon site and how some of the people can become a donor. We've been sharing that information little by little over the last few weeks, but in case people are not familiar with it, maybe you can Tell them a little bit about it. Yeah, so I just want to take a couple of minutes and um, explain about Patreon and what it is and what it does. So Patreon is um, a donor site, essentially. So you can sign up to different tier levels, as they're called, um, and that'll you, you select how much you want to donate on a monthly basis, and that money then goes to us to help us really keep the show going uh, and start bringing you the new and um, the new big ideas we've got and getting those things across. So you can go on to the Patreon website, which is www p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com backslash mentors the number four mill and then that's where you find our page so within our page then we've got some different levels so we got a two dollars level a five dollar level a fifteen dollar level and a thirty dollar level so anybody if you can uh, can just afford to give us uh, to donate just two dollars a month and that really helps to go towards uh, keeping the podcast going but on the five dollar the $15 and the $30 levels currently, we've got a competition. So anybody that signs up in the next week um, gets entered into a raffle to win one of Paul Martinez's uh, new book, When the Killer Man Comes. Uh, and the book will be uh, personally signed by Paul, uh, and the lucky person will be pulled out of the hat, and they get to uh, win that um, prize then. So um, you also get some different things. Uh, so we've got some T-shirts, for example. You get um, shout-outs on, uh, on the podcast. Um, but there's also the opportunity to win or to become uh, a guest host as well. So for those on the $30 per month level, you get to come and actually be on the show with us, be one of the team, talk to the guests and uh, be part of the episode. Um, and this recently happened with Stephanie Lincoln, who's currently our highest um, donor on the tribe um, level at $30 plus per month. Uh, and what we want to try and encourage you guys to do is to try and knock Stephanie off the top spot um, and create a bit of a competition out of it because we all like uh, a bit of competitive spirit in the uh, the military. So anybody who wants to get involved and donate and try and knock Stephanie off the top slot and then we get you on the podcast, come and be a guest uh, and get to speak to uh, the awesome guests that we have every month. Yeah, for as little as $2 a month, you can really help us out. But uh, enter the uh, the raffles and stuff that we're going to be having. It's going to be in the $5 or greater. And we'll continue doing those as the coming months come around and with some really good opportunities to win great prizes. Uh, but our latest patron that I want to give a shout out over is Joshua Tovar. And hopefully, Joshua, I said that name correctly and appreciate you coming in as our latest patron. And uh, again, it's really easy to find us. It's patreon.com backslash mentors the number four mil now we're going to go on to uh, the latest episode this week with rick alexander and uh, we think it'll be a good one this is the mentors for military podcast welcome to the show rick hey rob thanks for having me so I want to get into a little bit of your military career because uh, we were introduced and uh, by somebody else. But uh, so I just separated as a SWIC. It's a okay. special warfare combatant craft crewman. Um, I was at a SEAL team on my last tour, 
but through that time, actually, I think because of the utility of naval special warfare, there's a lot of different avenues you can go down. Oh, sure. Um, so I was actually a medic. So I went through the Army Green Beret course, the 18 Delta course, and served as a medic. And then I went back to BUDS because we have a combined orientation program. So I spent four years as a BUDS instructor. Uh, and then I took my final tour as a as training cadre at one of the SEAL teams on the East Coast. Oh, man, I'm sure you have all kinds of pretty cool stories about being a cadre member of BUDS. Yeah, very, very many. So you spent how many years total in active service? Uh, just over 10. And it got to the point in my career where um, I just, I value growth. And I was, uh, I felt like I was sort of, the next 10 years would have been doing a lot of what I had done the previous 10 years. I felt oh, yeah. like I sort of did the things that I came in to do. And so um, that just led me to led me down a different path. The last 10 years seemed a lot faster. And maybe it's because you became more in your comfort zone. You understood what was coming your way. And uh, because of that time flew, I don't know, I guess maybe others would find it just the opposite. Yeah, I mean, it, it really depends, you know, especially when you look at the military, a lot of people think if you get past the 10 years, it's you you're almost obligated to stay. My my outlook was like, well, if I'm if I'm no longer if my heart's no longer in it, ten years is a long time to do a job that that you don't want to do, especially one that that had so much purpose for so long. Yeah, I was just telling you, Scott about some of the things that you've done in terms of you know CrossFit, competing as well in CrossFit and the strongman and ultra marathons and stuff like that. You once ran 205 miles in 76 hours, as I understand it, through the mountains of Lake Tahoe. Uh, ascending and descending 80,000 feet. Scott was uh, saying that about the uh, upcoming event, I guess, that you're training for right now. I mean, when you start looking at ultra marathons and stuff like that and doing things like a triple Ironman. Yeah, this has been a process. So every year I feel like I do something that is maybe a little bit more or has a little bit more meaning to me. Uh, typically, I like to attach charity to these things just because it gives me a little more drive when the, when it really starts hurting. And you know, we can go into that, but I feel like people sort of have an obligation to give back if you can, and that's kind of my avenue. Um, but yeah, so the Triple Ironman will be this year, and then the, the last thing I did was that 250-mile run from Fort Bragg to Virginia Beach while wearing body armor. Oh, my God. Okay, tell us about that. Was that also for a charity? Because I understand the first one that we were talking about there around Lake Tahoe, that was for the Heroes Project. Yeah, so the Heroes Project, um, yeah, we'll sort of back up a little bit. So the Heroes Project... They take people that have been wounded in the military and, you know, there's a lot of, which is great, there's a lot of charities for military, for veterans that are getting out, but I think a lot of them miss the mark. I think a lot of them don't realize that when you get out of the military, you have this huge purpose that just gets pulled out from under you. Yeah. And um, sometimes I think they just throw money at the problem, which is great, but it doesn't necessarily hit the mark. What the Heroes Project does is they take these veterans who've been injured and they say, like, no, we're going to go back into harm's way. And they give them, they help them train to climb Everest. And, you know, they did all seven summits last year. So it was just something that I think for me, I've had friends that have been injured. I've seen what happens when you just give them money and no purpose. And so for me, that charity just, it really meant a lot to me. And so, yeah, I, I gave, uh, I think we raised, we raised a few thousand for them running, running that race around Lake Tahoe. Where you can go back and give to a charity like you're talking about and give back, uh, it's so important to be able to do that and continue your sense of service after you get out of active duty. And the way you're doing it is through, you know, these types of uh, marathons and such and giving back to charities. But these charities that then do the same thing and give back and helping people with post-traumatic stress or TBIs or just finding that sense of service and their pers purpose and passion in themselves, I, I just think it's really important. 
Yeah, I mean, I found that it's it's immensely beneficial to my. I mean, it it always gives you something to look forward to. You don't have a lot of time to feel sorry for yourself when you're, you know, looking toward the next thing, the next challenge, and then when that thing that you're doing has this sort of intrinsic meaning. Because I mean, if you ask me, I think we're all really wired for servitude in that way. And so when you find something that demands all of you and it has that element where it gives back, I think that you're really tapping into something that doesn't allow you to feel sorry for yourself or to feel stagnant or stuck or anything like that. Mm-hmm. What got you into the whole CrossFit and, and strongman and stuff like that? Was this something that you were doing while you were on active duty and you just decided to expand upon it and actually going into competition or how, how did it all begin? Yeah. I mean, growing up, I think for me, fitness was my, you know, I didn't work out for the sake of it, but I worked out for sports. And mm-hmm. yeah, the only reason I did halfway decent in school was because I had to, to play sports. And so my entire life, I think a lot of physical endeavors really did save me. They, um, they didn't allow me to go too far down the wrong path. And it seems throughout my entire life, I've always sort of had these to lean back on. Um, so after college, once I was in the military, it was like I, that when I didn't have that anymore outside of work, I really, I was just, it was a lot of looking for the next thing to sort of put my time and attention into to uh, occupy me at least in a positive way. You don't want to confuse comfort for happiness with something that I understood that uh, was, I don't know if this is a quote that came out of your book, Burn Your Couch, a manifesto for the average adverse. So I want to get a little bit into that and about getting out of your comfort zone. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in the military, it's something that we become pretty, pretty aware of. But I got to a point where I sort of looked back at my life. I looked at the success I had in the military and businesses and I looked around at a lot of people that weren't so happy with their lives. And what I realized is so many of us have this affinity to we we think that being comfortable is being happy when uh, really at the end of the day, they're they're not in any way related. And a lot of times your contentment will actually come from your ability to look at comfort and to go the other way. So I had a for a while when I was a buds instructor, we talked about this a little bit. I uh I had a side business and then I, w- I worked as at Buds as an instructor and then my apartment was sort of in the middle of those two things. And at the time, my business was really growing. So I had a lot of extra income. I had I was more comfortable than I'd ever been in my life. And uh, one of the things that happens through comfort is you start to your lifestyle levels up as you make more money. Right. And so I bought the Mercedes. I bought the luxury car. I had everything that I thought was what would make somebody happy. And I just found myself, I don't know, discontent or just stuck in my own head. I just, it wasn't giving me the answers I thought it always would. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way that my life was scheduled, I would go to be an instructor in the morning. I would lead the swims and the runs, and then I would come home, eat, do whatever. And then I would go to my office for my side business and we would work all night or late into the night. And I realized though on a few occasions, if I got off early, I could probably run there. And at the time I was big into strongman. So I wasn't running whatsoever. Like I think, I don't think I'd ran more than a mile in a year and a half. And so I, uh, but curiosity got the best of me. And so eventually one day I like, I was like, okay, like three hours, I'm going to make this run. It was like 14 miles to my office. And so I literally left my house, started the run, got like three miles in and it was hot and I was just cramping. I didn't bring money. I was unprepared. There was nothing that was going right in this. I had blisters that were starting to form. And after probably what could be like the slowest half marathon in history, I get to my office 
right in time for a sales meeting. I sit down and I'm like cramping bad. So I'm like trying to rub these cramps out of my legs. People, And I'm covered in road grime and dust. And I have a shitty grin on my face. But I, I have this epiphany, like the most comfortable car I've ever had in my life is sitting in my garage right now. And I am legitimately the most happy I've ever been to start a sales meeting. And so it was just this realization that like these two things are not one and the same. Like people think that they are going to buy the next thing or, you know, we have all these material metrics that we value. And so we try to, we try to attain them thinking that they're going to breed happiness. And at the end of the day, those things just happen not to be related at all. Rick, do you think that comfort stunts progression? So if you get comfortable with something, whatever it may be, in a job, in a role, in, in life in general, then you've got no desire then to drive forward. Yeah, I think it, it certainly gives you the ability to deprioritize forward progress, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, when, when you're talking about you had the most comfortable car that you've ever driven and it was parked in, 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 in your garage. You, you, for me, you didn't want to drive that then because you, you needed almost to earn it again, you know, because you, you've achieved that now and I've got it. Well, what am I going to do? What am I going to earn next? What am I going to move to? And I think certain people, some people will get to a point and accept this is where I want to be. And that's what I want to do. The way you're pushing yourself through fitness, um, uh, challenges and things you're always striving for that next um goal that next objective that next achievement and i think comfort stunts that and it just you get caught almost in, in i don't need to do anything now i'm comfortable here i can sit back i can relax and some people will do that and other people like yourself won't do that i think yeah i think if you look at our evolutionary biology i mean we kicked and clawed our way to the top of the food chain so to think that um, and, and, you know, that process took millions, at least as far as we know, the last tens of thousands of years. So just now as technology got to the point where everything you've ever wanted is like right here to think our biology would catch up to that in the course of just a few minutes in the grand scheme of things is ridiculous. Like it's just that's going to take a long time. And we don't really know the effects of all of this comfort and technology because we haven't had it long enough. Um, but I will say the empirical data right now, it's not looking good. If you look at one of the really interesting things, if you look at the wealth rate of a society as it tracks up, the depression rate tends to track right next to it. Makes sense. And so you have to ask yourself, like, what what's going on there? Because obviously we all think that we need to make more money and buy more things to be happy. And it's, I think that the data is showing that that's just not true. I think there's enough data Ada, out there just by people who have already been there, done that, to try to explain that to others. But unless you live it, unless you actually go through it, everybody wants to achieve or climb that ladder because they think that there's going to be something better. We always think that the grass is greener on the other side. We're always told that. And I used to give you know messages back to people that let them know that sometimes that what you don't realize is there's actually greener grass there because it's sitting over a septic tank. So you don't know what's beneath that. You know what I mean? And when you get down to the surface uh, or below the surface and stuff, you start realizing that even on social media, people are putting out there what they want to portray and they may be showing themselves with all this money and good life and everything else. But the reality is they're really not living that. And I think that's what you did is just with the point it sounded like where you reached a point, um, you had to take yourself down a notch once again and, and recalibrate, so to speak. 
Yeah, I think I think to, you know, I, I just made a post yesterday, like one of the I realized like one of the best gifts I have in life is this idea that I continuously fall in love with the struggle. Like I'm I always start new things and I always I'm never afraid to be the beginner or the amateur, but that that has forced me to allow myself to never get comfortable because I mean, you see it in the military it even happens like we get to a certain point and then what was really uncomfortable and really hard we sort of get on autopilot and it happens with any job, right? As you learn the job, things become easier and life becomes easier and you get some rank and some status and then you don't have that urge to progress like you used to. And so I think for me, like I've just realized how beneficial that can be when it comes to growth and this idea that we're always trying to push both physical and intellectual frontiers um, is just something that's become intrinsically important to me. You know, it was a few podcasts ago, we had a best-selling author on that talked about this very topic, you may remember, Scott, about just basically reinventing yourself. Just when you get to a point where you're starting to plateau and get comfortable and everything else, that's the time you've got to shake things up and reinvent yourself. Otherwise, you just won't stay in the game as, as kind of an A-team member, so to speak. Yep. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think it's it's immensely beneficial. And if you look at what I've done as far as, you know, I was I did a lot of strength sports. Like I went from literally strongman to running a hundred miler within a year. Um, and and those are two things that you would not see people go back and forth from uh, because the, the obvious connection's not really there. Like one does not help the other like you would hope. Um, but it's just this idea that I needed I needed to find myself growing again. For you, it's about adversity, though. So it's a little bit different. It's about putting yourself in a very difficult situation, it seems like, um, as often as possible. And, and and I think you kind of express that to others, that that's a good thing that they should do as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not because of that one thing, right? Like, I don't, I don't have any ideas that I'm going to be one of the best endurance athletes in the world, but it's the crossover lessons. It's everything you learn in the struggle of one thing that you can then apply to the rest of your life. What were some other things that we could take away from Burn Your Couch, a manifesto for the average adverse? Um, well, to I think to hammer that one point home um, about sort of looking at our evolutionary biology and where we're at right now, you know, one of the things that I point out in the book that I don't think people stop to think about is, you know, we have Amazon now, which which means I've got the app on my phone, which means I can order groceries with just the click of a button. Oh yeah. So this is something that's was a getting food was literally a life or death situation for tens of thousands of years. And so now all of a sudden this thing that used to literally be life or death can be done with two seconds from something in your pocket. And so I think it just, it goes to show that if you take a step back and look at that, like those, we don't know the ramifications of that, but like you and I had said earlier, it, it doesn't seem to be good so far. I mean, depression, obesity rates, everything is sort of skyrocketing at the moment. Yeah, it's like the movie all over again, Wall-E. I'm telling you, every time we talk about this same topic on on yeah. our podcast show, it just reminds me of Wall-E, where all these people are fat and going around these uh, this this building and not even realizing that they forgot some of the basic things because they've their life has become lazy. I think yeah. it's really interesting that we've spoke about this topic before, and it was with I'm guessing somebody you know, Rick um, George Briones. So George is in very similar feel to yourself and i think the day before we did the podcast last time he was on the podcast with you just before it so i think and i if i remember rightly but so 
endurance athletes and people who were pushing themselves way beyond what people considered to be achievable i'm not even going to use the word normal because it's it's a different sphere to normal and but it comes back to the the loss of almost prehistoric skills and we was talking with george about how many people do you know now that could actually take a chicken kill it pluck it get it cook it as you would have done not that long ago, you know, maybe 50, 60 years ago in, in, in some parts of um, mm-hmm. both uh, the, the US or, or the UK, you know. But now, if you asked most people that, who were within one generation of that being done regularly, they'd look at you as if you was crazy that a chicken doesn't come wrapped in anything other than cellophane, you know. And those skills are gone now. And I think that that will catch us out in the future. We'll come to a point where those skills are no longer remembered by anybody and having the ability to do that. And I'm, I'm not one of these shit at the fan uh, conspiracy theorists. And I've got a, you know, a doomsday prep store at the bottom of the garden. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that I have it quite that far, but uh, I do see a, a, a George Jetson, type of uh, setup here before too long where, you know, you go to the uh, the microwave and push a button and the chicken dinner just pops out. You didn't even put a chicken dinner in there to heat it up. It just, you requested it and that came about. It came from powder or whatever. Do I believe that kind of stuff could come about? We didn't believe we could put a man on the moon. Yeah, sure. I believe those types of things can occur. And it's just that whole thing of you what we're talking about. We Don't never did. That. Oh, that's right. It was out in the desert or something. <laughs> they filmed it all. But uh but yeah, I I think that we're definitely headed towards that type of society. It's kind of a um, I wouldn't call it a doomsday, but if people don't wake up and realize that type of thing, it's not a healthy environment that we're talking about in the future. Yeah, and and you know, I mean, if I think it's easy for people that are because I often feel like I'm a dying breed, right? And so it's often easy for people like me to get frustrated, but I think you have to realize that the world is a little more suited for the soft hands of a coder than it is uh, the person that can go out and kill the chicken with a K-bar, which I've done for Thanksgiving. We can talk about that at some point. All right. Um, but, but, but you know what I mean? So I think that uh, <laughs> I think you have to you have to accept that and be willing to conform. But this the idea that humans were meant to go through adversity is is an art that I don't think should be lost in that. That makes sense. Oh yeah, no, I definitely agree along with that. I mean, there were some lessons that were taught along through those uh, things as well. So when you worked out in the farm and you had to do chores and you had to do certain things, there were life lessons that were being taught that I don't know that it's being done through social media and technology that we have today. It's being lost. I see too often where families sit around at a table and the first thing they do when the kid looks bored or is saying that they're bored is they give them their phone. You know, the parent gives them the phone and says, here, play something, do something. And so we've lost all connection with that type of thing. And and maybe it's just my observation, but look around at any given time and more people have their phones or technology in their hands than not. Yeah. And that's an, that's an oddity that I think we need to like really start I think needs to come to the front more in conversation because we're more connected than we've ever been through social media, through all these things. Uh, But the human experience isn't one that can be lived out through a screen. So just because you and I might be friends over social media, it's not, it 
there's some part of us that needs an actual genuine connection. Like psychologists have looked at the fact that we actually need human touch in order to feel, to thrive, to feel whole. And so, um, yeah, I think if you look at the path we're going down, we have to sort of, we have to sort of course correct and, and realize that we should leverage some of this technology because it's making things better. You and I can have a radio show because we want to, not because we have to work our way up in that, in that life anymore. Right. So true technology has lowered the barrier to entry for all these things that you might want to do. And so you have to be able to leverage it. But then at the same time, um, like I said, these art, this art of going through adversity and human connection and some of the things that um, maybe the older generation is, is concerned about, we should probably bring to the forefront of conversation a little bit more. I think people need to, to grasp the difference between reality and virtuality, I guess, you know, and whilst people thrive on, I've got, you know, 600 friends on Facebook or 2000 followers on uh, Twitter or whatever it may be. How many of those people do you actually know that if you walk down the street, you would say, Hey, how's it going? I haven't seen you in a while, you know, and the reality of searching for that virtual uh, validation, I guess, almost is, is not real in the world. And I think people, the, the skill of, conversation and you said earlier you know we've got all this technology to be able to host a radio show in three different continents spanning the world you know on a a friday evening but yet people haven't got that ability to go and sit down with somebody now and we've we've we're so so connected but so distant from each other i find a lot of the time that people are more engrossed in looking on their phones instead of putting the phone down and having a conversation around the table you know it's 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 strange you 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 hit the nail on the head with it rick you know it's it's an oddity yeah and you know my question to those people would be i mean are these connections and friendships making you happier so like one thing you should look at is when you when you get a like on social media and and all these companies know this you guys are probably aware of this you get this flood of dopamine right the, the thing about dopamine as a neurotransmitter is it makes you really, it makes you happy in the moment, but it goes away quicker than it came and it leaves you wanting more. So dopamine's what's released when you do cocaine, just like when you get a like on social media. It's this thing that gets a, gives you a flood of excitement, but then it goes away. Uh, what's interesting is when you look at human connection, when you do something nice for somebody, like if I um, were to help somebody across the street or whatever, you get the flood of a different neurotransmitter and called serotonin and what's interesting is serotonin is linked to long-term contentment so it's it's the literal opposite of dopamine but we are chasing all of these activities that are giving us dopamine one of the other really interesting things to look at is when you have this flood of dopamine it actually suppresses serotonin so you're actually wreaking havoc on your long-term contentment by continually seeking things that are producing dopamine most of our world today is producing dopamine. That's that's what happens when you get a like on social media or any kind of short-term validation. You know, what's interesting about that? Sorry, Robert, I keep yes, cutting you off. Yes, what's what's re- really interesting about that, Rick? We we had um, a documentary in the UK maybe about three months ago, four months ago. I don't know whether you had it in the US, but it, it was about are we addicted to social media as a society? And they actually interviewed senior people from. Google, Facebook, Twitter, um, LinkedIn, and they spoke about how they specifically designed things like the color of the like button 
to really attract you to do that because of what they wanted to do. We're talking about um, the the chemical reaction from seeing something and how they were trying to hook people into social media. So you'd spend longer in Facebook trawling through posts, looking to like or dislike or, you know, whatever it may be. And it, it's, it, it can, I genuinely believe for people, they can get drawn into it. You know, and especially if if their social circumstances are uh, maybe a, a little bit more difficult and they haven't got a close circle of friends, it's very, very easy to connect with people on social media that isn't real and get validity for. And you see it with these pictures, you know, of people, particularly youngsters, are putting on social media and they're just doing it specifically to get somebody to like or the worst one is where they come out with some totally shit comment with, oh, I'm never going to believe you. I'm, I'm fuming over something or I'm really annoyed. And then everyone says, oh, what's going on? Inbox. Oh, I hate those. I hate <laughs> you know, those. Come on. It's just purely for attention, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. And it, you wouldn't, you would never do that in the street. You'd never walk down and say, oh, I never fucking believe what's going on. Oh, what's that? I'm not going to tell you now. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll phone you back three hours later. So you just wouldn't do it. So it's it's purely an attention thing for social media, for likes or comments or whatever it may be. But that validity, it's got zero meaning in life, has it? Well, it's gotten to the point where everybody that comes out of the military thinks they can write a book, too. No, no offense to anyone here. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm the only one that hasn't written a book. Is that that's, right, Robert? That's true. You've, that's true. Got a book so I, that was actually pointed at myself. But yeah, I mean, mine wasn't specifically about there I was. But I mean, there are a lot of guys that that's what they think. You know, they think that, oh, you know, I've, I've gotten all these accolades and I've got all these followers. If I wrote a book, imagine what my followers would do in turning into dollars. And we all know that followers don't equal dollars. Mm, right yeah no you know i this is no disrespect to anybody that's gone this route but when i got into business after the military i decided that i i wasn't going to live or die based on what i had done in the past that's something that i feel like also keeps people stagnant is they're they're too scared to go into somewhere else and prove themselves in a different arena and be the new guy again right and so for me like most of my brand i i talk about the fact that it's veteran owned i mean it it really shaped me in my formative years but other than other than that i really just made the decision personally not to not to live or die based on what i've done already yeah well and we're getting to a bit of communication and one of your recent uh, shows that you did was on the communication and i think that people have just locked lack now lack the ability to communicate. That's kind of what we're talking about. Those social skills, those abilities to interact and have a conversation uh, between two people where it's not one way or one sided. Uh, it just doesn't happen. And people have become, it seems like a lot more introvert uh, because of that. They seem extrovert on social media or those types of things, right? Uh, because they're, you're exactly right. They're texting. And uh, for people who can't see this, but yeah, they've gotten to the point. <laughs> They've gotten to the point where uh, that's primarily what they do all the time is they communicate. I mean, I even my daughters, uh, I can they'll say something like, yeah, I've got to get a hold of the plumber or whatever. It's like, OK, well, why don't you call them tomorrow? Yeah, I'll probably just send them a text. No, why don't you call them? If you're if you're that upset over it, why don't you give them a call? Yeah, yeah, I'll probably give them a call. I know they weren't going to give them a call. They'll text them because that's how they communicate these days. Yeah. And, and you know. In self, in personal development and self help, this 
the idea of authenticity is like it continues to be touted. And that's really weird because I think we're growing further and further away from authenticity with all of these different things that we're talking about with social media. But, you know, one of the things that's happening because we're so we have so many inputs from technology and so many notifications and things are always coming into us that we don't really have the time to stop and think about who we really are and what we actually want for our lives. We're more like regurgitating and reposting memes and our opinions become the opinions of other people. And when we don't have that sort of, when our lives aren't rooted in who we actually are, our ability to communicate to others is also diminished. And so when you step back and at least this is what I've noticed in social media and a lot of the prevalent like motivation culture, it's just a whole bunch of people that don't have any ideas for themselves and they're just like reposting everybody. They're like all recycled oh. ideas from somebody else. Yes. Right? And I'm like, yes. yeah. And, and my thing is like, are you, have you ever followed that motivational advice that you're posting right now? Because it's garbage. Like for the person that's suffering right now, you're not helping them at all. And so I think that ties into this broader idea of communication. It's like, we have to have a better idea of who we are. If we're ever going to be able to communicate anything worth a damn, to to the world but this this synthetic world that we're manufacturing it's not it's not a good look for humanity so far yeah so i mean i i can totally uh when when you when you were talking about that you think about those memes and everything that are out there that people have put and, and again it's something that it it says something to me it speaks to me in some way or, or i think that my followers will like this so i share it and to your point i don't even know the deep meaning behind that i may not i may just be sharing it because i, I thought it looked good or it got a lot of likes by Scott, so I'm going to share it as well. And again, then that's when that dopamine kicks in. And once again, you're starting the whole cycle because once people, everybody likes that, you're like, okay, well, I need to go find me another meme so that I can go get more likes so I can fulfill my dopamine fix again. Right. And, and the discomfort of crafting ideas for yourself and knowing what you really think about a certain topic, it's just like the discomfort with anything else, like the idea of it's good. But once you really get in the struggle and the adversity and you realize how hard it is, it's especially today, right? We have no lack of pacifiers in the world. It's like, well, let me just go on Instagram or like, that's one of the things I've even noticed with myself when I sit down to do deep work, like writing my new book. If I get stuck, I have the ability or the affinity to pick up my phone and go on Instagram. And then I'm like, what am I doing? I need to think through this right now. And it's, you have to like really force yourself in that discomfort of, of formulating your own thoughts. And then on top of that, that means stepping away from, or it might mean stepping away from what other people in your sort of tribe also believe about that thing, right? That's another thing that we see with social media or with the internet in general. It like gives you the idea, you end up in an echo chamber because you get everybody else that believes what you believe. And so those are all the pages you follow. And so it just re further reinforces that you don't actually know what you believe about a certain topic. Oh, see, that's very, you're hitting on a main point in terms of veterans coming off active duty or even those within active duty who don't really know what their purpose or passion is because they really haven't taken that time to analyze that is what you're getting into now. Yeah. And, and you know, I've, I just launched today actually this thing called the Clarity Academy because I've realized that people have no idea who they really want to be in the world or what they really want. And so what happens is we root our identity in all these things. Like I'm a Republican or I'm a white female or I'm a whatever I'm in a relationship. So that becomes my identity. And so what happens is we root ourselves in this, our identity in these things. And then when we go into something like change, like 
transitioning out of the military. We're not only contending with the world, but we also don't know who we are because our identity is getting pulled away. And so it makes we end up getting lost in the chaos, I think. And we've and that happens with veterans all the time because who they were was a veteran and that was their purpose and that was their thing. And they didn't right. have a lot outside of that. So then when they get thrown into the chaos of change and trying to find a new career and a new purpose, they're not just dealing with that. They're also dealing with this great internal battle as well. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, when they come off active duty, uh, they've always known where to go to get food, where to go to uh, to go to sleep, where to be, how to do it. They've been told and instructed all this. And so when they get out here into the private sector and, and they don't understand the private sector and they feel the civilian world doesn't understand them, it's it's mainly to do with the lack of communication skills that they had and the fact that they don't know their passion or purpose uh, of who they really are deep down inside. Uh, because they haven't taken the time to do that. Yeah. And then, you know, a lot of it, I mean, I think all of the topics we sort of touched on are really, are really good for that transitioning veteran because then at the same time, there's this idea that people don't always want to start to be the new guy. They don't want to go through that struggle of learning something new. They, And that's why the the pull to go be a contractor and just pick up a gun and go it's too do easy. the pseudo, pseudo same thing. It's, it's exactly, it's too easy. It's uh. I don't know. I think if my life could serve as an example for anything, it's that like you can make a total pivot. Like you can love other things. They don't, it doesn't have to be what your group likes or your parents or your, you know, like you have to, you have to enter into a life of your own volition. But the ability to do that because of technology and some of these things, like we have the ability to do that more than we ever have. It's just that we have to be willing to take on the responsibility that that actually requires. And you've got to go, you've got to go to, want them find it as well because it's like you said to, to go contracting is the easiest thing because you that is the life the person you were it's just with a different person paying the, the the check at the end of the month but when you leave the military i think most people uh, as you said don't know who they are but it's all too easy for people to say oh you should be this you should be that and and for them to believe it and say well they're making good money doing that they look happy they've got the car they've got the uh the nice holidays and whatever it may be that's the life i want but that might not be what who you are and what makes you happy and and people get sucked into that vicious circle then of they'll go and do a job that they hate and they'll go to work every day at nine and come home at five and they fucking hate their life and just blame leaving the military for that and it isn't the military's fault it isn't the fact that you've left the military it's your fault for accepting that's not who you are and you're too lazy or haven't acknowledged to yourself that you need to go and have a reality check and say right who do i want to fucking be from now on what do i want to do and who am i going to be and then getting getting it down on a piece of paper and putting a plan in. I can't remember who talked about that before with his the big whiteboard and his plan and off they go and, and you just achieve it and put those skill sets then that you've had given to you from the military on how to achieve tasks and objectives and there's no way you'll fail at it in my opinion but people just miss that middle part of acknowledging what they want to be and what they think will make them happy. They, they believe in somebody else's lies. Yeah. So... Well, that's what we're taught, isn't it? We're, we're taught to idolize or look at somebody else. We've uh, we've looked at 
whether it's sports figures, uh, you know, movie stars, whatever the case may be, that they have something good. I want to do the same things. And you always are taught kind of to, to look to somebody else, an aunt, an uncle, or somebody. And in many cases, even those that are transitioning out of the military are chasing the almighty dollar. Instead of looking in, in, introspectively about who they are, what they want to be, while they were on active duty, mind you, before they separated, they waited to the last minute because they figured making the transition is going to be the easiest part of their life. And when they make that transition out they begin to realize they know nothing about themselves but what they may have been told like you said or what the transition people have told them about themselves and they start chasing then the dollar what do i want to be whatever somebody will pay me to be that's what i'll be wherever the money's at oh you want to pay me you know x number of dollars over here to go shovel shit okay i'll go do that because that's going to pay more money than me going over here uh, in this direction here. And I think that's what people get it caught up into. Rick, what you said earlier, though, is important because I, I did the very same thing that you did. I made a like a 180 pivot in terms of what I did when I got off active duty. I, I started realizing early on when I was uh, on active duty that, um, you know, it, one day we're all going to make a transition. One day we're going to be in a former soldier, airman, marine, sailor, whatever the case may be. And then I had to start thinking a little bit more clearly about that. So the first thing I started thinking of is where are my strengths and my, my weaknesses are? What, what can I add value to the place that I was going? And I realized that there was a niche or things that I could bring to the table that in, wasn't industry specific. And so it gave me actually an upper hand and allowed me to go into an industry and in an area that people look back on now and they go, how in the world did you ever go into life sciences? The military doesn't have life sciences. Nope, sure doesn't. Uh, it's because I had a, a focus. I was driven on a specific way. I knew exactly who I was, where I wanted to add the value. And to me, it didn't matter what industry it was in. It was more important to me about going and doing what I love doing. And that's that's really what it's about, right? It's about trying to find yourself, and that's what you're you're hitting on here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think you have to. I mean, the military has taught you to do a lot of incredible things. You just need to figure out which ones of those apply to what you want to do next. And it might be abstract, so you might have to really step back from the situation to figure it out. But um, you know, one of the things I remember going through selection is. I hit this point where I we were doing this brick tread where you tread water with a 10-pound brick. And uh, at the time, you had to wear boots, so it was harder to tread water. And then your mask was filled with water as well. So it was like, kind of felt like you were drowning. And I remember thinking, um, oh, I'm going to drown. Like, this is it. It's, it's over for me. And I remember uh, watching a couple people in front of me quit. And I internally made this decision to go down with the ship. I was like, well, you know what? Like... I, there's nothing that's going to make me quit. If I die, I die. I don't care. And I'm 19. I mean, it's not a war zone. I'm in Southern California. But that was the decision <laughs> I made. Right? That was a decision that I made. I was like, I am going, I'm going down with the ship because that's the life that I want requires that. And that gave me a lot of fire for getting through that beginning part of my journey in the military. But when I got out, I came to this conclusion that like, we have to live up to our ideals and sometimes we have to pay what our ideals require. And that's the hard part. Um, but for me, like I wanted to go into entrepreneurship because I valued freedom above anything else. Like that is an mm -hmm. ideal to me that, that just is really embedded in my core. And so it's like, sometimes you just got to make the decision, like go down with the ship if that's what it takes. Of course you're not going to, you're a fighter, you're in the military, you figured it out every, the fact that you're even listening to this podcast right now means that you've always figured it out means you're always going to figure it out. But you have to 
be willing sometimes to put your back against the wall and live up to your ideals because they're going to require some struggle in the process. Well, isn't that where you grow and learn? I mean, we've talked about that a lot on this show as well, is through your own adversity, through your own pains and struggles is where you're going to gain the wisdom that everybody talks about. How'd you get so smart? Well, because I tripped and failed a couple of times, you know, that, that's where you're going to get it from. Yeah, we look at failure as this sort of, you know, death sentence a lot of times. We look at it like it's this embarrassing thing. The reality is it's, it's tuition. It's tuition to learn whatever it was that you needed to learn. It's another way that won't work. It's another thing that you can build off. Um, and you really, have to, you really have to reframe failing as just sort of the price of tuition for whatever it was that you wanted to learn. Oh, I like that. The price of tuition. That's that's really good. I'll have to remember that one. So I want to take us down a little bit further back because I, I love the story uh, that when you get back into your you know training and everything else. Is it true that you were held at gunpoint during one of your uh, your runs? Yeah. Tell us about <laughs> yeah. you gotta tell us about this whole story. So is this during one of these like two hundred and fifty or two hundred mile events that you're on? Yeah. So um, getting out of the military, I made the decision I wanted to sort of do an ode to my service and. Uh, so I found this charity called Gold Star Teen Adventures. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Great bunch of guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I absolutely love them. My favorite charity, hands down. I love yeah. them. Um, for people that are listening, basically, they take kids of, of fallen soldiers and they um, they bring them on adventures and they do mentoring with them and, you know, stuff that your parents would do with you. And so as an ode to my service, I thought I'm going to get out. What's my wheelhouse? Like, I'm not the best runner in the world, but if you need a guy to put it in second gear and suffer... I'm your guy all day long. I can do that for days on end. And so I knew that uh, doing these kind of things gets a lot of, it can get a lot of attention. So it'd be a good way to raise money. Um, and so that's what I was talking about earlier, that run I did from Fort Bragg to Virginia Beach wearing body armor. Um, so going into that, we, this was, it turned out to be by far the hardest thing I'd ever done. There were so many things that um, happened in that journey that I never could have counted on. And I mean, that's kind of the the great thing about adventure, right? Once you step off, you have no idea now, what's going to transpire. How did this even come about in the first place before we go down this path too far? Because uh, this wasn't like an event. This was what I'm hearing is that you decided you were going to do this as an event. Yeah, just as I was doing it as my last month in the military, raise money for a cause I really cared about. Right. Um, Maybe I'll learn a couple of things along the way. There's got to have been a couple of beers and a bet involved. In <laughs> it has to be somewhere. No, I bet you can't run 200 miles. Hold my beer, I'm off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, it turned out to be brutal. Mu much more brutal than even the idea sounded at first. Um, <laughs> it's... Uh... I, I think our, our brains work differently, Rick. I, I can't contemplate why anybody would even consider to run 200 miles in one hit. It's, 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 yeah. For me, it's like the four-minute mile, you know. For, originally, before somebody um, did the, the, uh, the four-minute mile, everyone thought it was impossible. And they thought if somebody runs that fast, their lungs will collapse and they'll die. And then I think it was, was it, uh, Roger Bannister did the, the yeah. first run four minute mile and then within about three months I think six other people had beaten the times you know and advanced it forward and 200 miles is just it's insanity why would you do that 
in body armor. The, the body <laughs> armor. Yeah, the 200 miles isn't, uh, isn't hard enough anyway. You've got to put a, a 10 pound uh, set of body armor on as well. The body armor was a wild card. Um, that was the thing for me. It was like, because what happens, obviously, like you guys have worn body armor, you can't, your lungs don't expand quite the same. Um, and so you hit that point where if it gets really uncomfortable and you want that thing off, like that is an awful place to be. So it's a real mental game where you're trying to keep yourself in a real positive place as this is like bouncing up and down on your diaphragm for days on end, essentially. Yeah. So this did not start with an alcoholic bet then. It did not. No, just uh, my okay. own masochism. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that is that. So what what day, uh, tell us, take us down the story then that uh, was shared with me uh, that you've now confirmed. So at what point did this occur along this journey? Man, you know, so, I I mean, we got stuck in a hurricane in this journey, like a lot of crazy things happened. But we were, after going through the hurricane, going through days, suffering, I mean, I had one day where I couldn't even move more than like five steps without throwing up. Um, I was like going through real GI issues and I was shitting and puking and like it got really bad for one day. Um, and then at the end I was sort of in that zombie mode where you've been up for days on end and you're like pseudo hallucinating, but trying to keep a grip on reality. Yeah. And that would have been me about the fourth, first hour or something, but go, go ahead. Yeah. So my crew, they, they asked me, they were like, Hey, are you worried about going through this one part of town? And I was like, no, I'm. Are you kidding me? Like I was like dismissive, like, give me a break. Yeah. Um, and luckily for me, we hit that part of town at about 3 AM. And, uh, I had a buddy with me who was like helping me pace and kind of keep my, um, my wits about me. Mm -hmm. And as we went into this area, we started already out of the gate, noticing some pretty crazy stuff. Like at one point we saw two cars in a high speed chase. None of neither were cops. Like they're just chasing each other, trying to like pit each other out. <laughs> and I was like, and, but I was so tired and I had such a loose grip on things that I was like looking at my buddy, Jordan. And I was like, did that just happen? Like, or, did that just happen? Yeah. And he was like, he was like, yeah, that we were like, okay. We get a little further into this sort of ghetto. And then we notice cars are sort of like slowly like driving by us and looking at us and then speeding back up. And I'm like, all, you know, all of a sudden you start putting it all together. Like I'm not where I should be right now. And where were you and, at this point? Uh, Portsmouth, Virginia. We're only 18 miles from finishing. Oh my gosh. Okay, go ahead. And so my crew comes up and uh, the crew car, they stop and they were like looking for a place where we could basically like we were making little aid stations for myself where I'd eat, fix my feet, sleep for 10 minutes and then get back on the road. And so my crew came up and he was like, Hey man, I drove ahead and I don't see anywhere that's going to be acceptable to, to go essentially to like lay down for any amount of time right here. And I was like, all right, we'll just push through the ghetto then. And then on the other side of it, we'll figure it out. As soon as the car leaves, this kid comes up on a bike and, uh, I didn't think anything of it again. I'm like pretty far out of it, but I hear my buddy. He says like, he says, I think he just said, Oh fuck or something like that. But the way he said it was that like moment of realizing clarity. He yeah. sees something. <laughs> yep. And so all of a sudden I'm like with it. At that point, I'm completely like wits are back about me. So the kid rides up and he is saying something about the moon. He's like trying to just talk and I'm trying to build rapport. And, you know, the kid's probably 15, 16 years old being ex-military, like doing what I'm doing. I'm thinking I can build rapport with a 
15. I speak at schools all the time. You know, I can build a rapport with this kid pretty quickly. And it was the first time in my life, maybe ever, that I've talked to somebody with no emotion. Like there was no, like I was like, you're talking to a psychopath. That's what it felt like. And it was a really odd feeling because I realized like there's no human connection taking place right now. Mm. And the whole time that we're talking, he won't take his hand out of his pocket. And I'm like, he's like, you shouldn't be here. And he wasn't saying it to like help us out. He was saying it like, I'm about to tell you why you shouldn't be here. And he, I was like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah, we lost somebody here yesterday. And I was like, oh, okay. And I'm again, I'm just trying to build rapport. And he's like, do you have $5? And I was like, no, man, I told you, like, we're just running, you know, from, from North Carolina. And he's like, pulls in front of us. And he's like, do you have $5 if I shoot you? And he goes to pull this gun out. Clearly, the kid did not want the five bucks. Um, my first reaction is to just rush him because, you know, just try to beat this gun away from him. But my buddy, who was a little further back, he said something and it was it was really interesting. He was just like, hey, wait, because I think he saw me like probably telegraphing what I was about <laughs> to do. And it was really good because, I mean, you guys know it's if somebody with a handgun, it's pretty hard to shoot somebody from even five meters away. Like if, you, if you're not good at it and, and you're scared and moving and, the, you know, like probably if you hit me, it's going to be luck. And so I'm glad he said that because if I would have closed the distance, I didn't see him with the gun in his hand. So if if I would have closed the distance, it probably would have been over for me right there. Um, but right at that time, it allowed us to like sort of break the distance. And, and there was a tree right there. So we were sort of bending behind the tree where the kid was. Mm -hmm. And so he got on his bike to try to come around and head us. And he was like, I'm not going to shoot you. And I was like, well, it, it fucking feels like you are, man. And in my head, I'm just thinking, like, trying to keep my, because I was wearing body armor, I'm trying to keep my plate square to him, right? <laughs> Smart <I'm> like, man. <laughs> yeah. You knew that body armor would come in handy. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, like, I'm thinking, I'm, like, looking at where I can jump, and I'm thinking, like, okay, I'm probably going to get shot in the leg or the hip here. And, and so I'm, like, sort of just trying to figure this whole situation out on how the hell I'm going to get out of it. And luckily, our crew car had seen it all happen. And so he comes ripping up the road. And I think what happened, because me and my buddy Jordan were trying to figure out, like, that kid didn't want $5. Like, he clearly wanted to, to prove something to somebody, whatever, however that works. Um, but I think what happened is, as that car came up, he put it together that we weren't alone because he had seen us talking to that car right as he'd driven up. Right. And I think, think it panicked him, and he realized there were factors at play that he didn't, um, he didn't know. So the car comes up and as the car comes like screeching up, he gets on his bike and sprints the other direction. And so as my crew comes up, me and Jordan look at each other. We dive in the car, like dive over the food in the back of the car. Car takes off. And then I had been such a stickler about never getting in the car for this journey because I didn't want it to be perceived that I, I didn't take every step. And, and at that point, my buddy's like, uh, do you want to come back here and restart during the day? And I'm like, no, like I just survived fucking four deployments, a 10-year military <laughs> career. I'm not getting shot 18 miles from home. No, I don't. And so we literally uh, just picked a point that was 18 miles away um, out in the country, drove out there, reset. Somewhere nice. And then, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 18 <laughs> points away, nice. <laughs> yeah. And then I, I finished the last 18 miles that way. But I just – I remember thinking like, damn, how ironic would that have been? But Oh, that would have sucked. Out. Yeah, that would have sucked. Oh, my God. So you didn't have the other cars chasing you guys either then? No. 
that's real good. I was waiting for you to to go on and say, and then all of a sudden the car started coming after us. And no, those were all like very odd, unrelated incidents, I guess. Okay, well that that's good. Yeah, that's good that it all wasn't uh, one together, and they were all scoping you out and everything. Anyway, uh, I think it'd be really good now to talk about some of the stuff that you're doing these days. Because you mentioned that you're an entrepreneur, and uh, that was one of the things that you figured out a long time ago. And you started a lot of uh, two different organizations, and it'd be really good to get into that. Yeah, so um, it started as sort of a side project for another uh, supplement company that I had a few years back. And um, we just had all these athletes, and I was like, well why don't we just interview them and we'll use it as marketing essentially. And as we got into it, I realized how much I really loved the content production side and how much I didn't love having a physical product. And so um, just over evolution of figuring out, you know, who I really was and what I really wanted, I moved more into the content production side. And then, so now Lionheart Radio, it's a show we produce five days a week. Um, Usually three to five, three of those are usually like under 10 minutes. And it's like, here is uh, probably a new spin on some life lesson that I've learned in the trenches and here's how it might help you. And then we also do like long form interview style kind of like this once a week. And um, but yeah, so that that show goes live five days a week. Yeah, that's great. And I know that I've listened to it and you've got some really good content that's out there. How can people find out more about it? Um, if you just search Lionheart Radio in, in any podcast app, we're on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, wherever wherever you get podcasts. Um, and I would say go to the the morning coffee episodes if you you know if you're interested in some of the ideas that we've talked about today. If you listen to those, they're very short, with like fifty or sixty of them on there now. Um, you get a good idea about a lot of these things we've been talking about. Yeah, Rick, I really appreciate you coming on the show, man, and sharing some of your life experiences, and especially the good story there that you did as well about the the gunpoint and the running and all the charities. And uh, appreciate you giving back and and uh, everything that you're doing for those veterans along the way. Those types of things are really important, and it's really good that you're you're doing that. Appreciate it. Cool. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. <laughs> 